It's Monday, March 27th, 2023, and this is Markets Daily from Coindesk. I'm Adam B. Levine, hearing up with Adrian Bloss for your Daily News Roundup. On today's show, we're talking Bitcoin, a fragile system, the latest headlines, and more. And just a reminder, Coindesk is a news source and does not provide investment advice. Bitcoin, Ether, and other top-traded tokens are changing hands this morning at prices near, but mostly a touch below those we shared on Friday. Macro-focused traders have their eyes on Deutsche Bank as potentially the next domino that could fall, but at least for the moment, things are quiet. The crypto market managed to hold its ground over the weekend, with Bitcoin ranging between $27,000 and $28,000, and is up nearly 70% year-to-date as it reached towards $30,000 late last week. Simon Peters, an analyst at trading platform eToro, said in a note this morning that a short-term pullback is possible. Ether was also down slightly over the past 24 hours, but is still very much towards the top of its recent range as well. European stocks opened higher this morning as investors hope for an end to banking volatility, and U.S. equity futures are also edging higher. Expectations of increased U.S. dollar liquidity to support the banking sector following a string of forced closures has helped the original cryptocurrency rally so far, but other factors are also in play, Big Bank Morgan Stanley said in a new research report out yesterday. Quote, Bitcoin trading order book liquidity is at its lowest level in a year, meaning lower volumes can drive larger price moves than before, analysts wrote. Traders on Binance, by the way, are now setting the daily price for Bitcoin, with the crypto exchange's share of trading volume reaching some 80%, the report said. Issuance of the largest stablecoin, Tether, has meanwhile risen 10% in the last month and 16% so far this year. But that hasn't been enough to offset the reductions in other stablecoins, such as Binance USD and USDC, issued by Circle and Coinbase, the note said. As an aside, this is once again seemingly the most ironic result possible, where the compliant U.S. stablecoins regulated out of New York that use U.S. banking, and in some cases are actually tied to publicly traded companies, are at a disadvantage because of those things, as U.S. regulators seemingly look for easy targets and the U.S. banking system goes through yet another crisis. But back to our story. Speaking with Coindesk TV on Friday, Owanda senior market analyst Edward Moyes said the success of Coinbase is dictating much of the future price movement of crypto. Quote, Crypto traders are closely following everything with Coinbase. Coinbase CEO Brian Armstrong noted that they weren't entirely surprised by the SEC notice. No one knows how regulators are going to rule if all tokens are securities, he said. Continuing, Coinbase's success is vital to longer-term crypto growth. In the U.S., Coinbase is a critical option for how people are getting started with crypto, end quote. Moya also pointed out that while Bitcoin has so far been unable to test the $30,000 level, it seems like it's ready for a consolidation phase. Meanwhile, Jody Pasquelli, CEO of crypto asset manager Bitbull Capital, told Coindesk in an email that the market has largely remained bullish after the Federal Open Market Committee, or FOMC, those are the folks over at the Fed, pushed out a relatively tame rate hike. Quote, While we did expect a correction to $25,000 that didn't happen, we believe it's still in play. For now, the bulls will want to see Bitcoin respecting 25 k and consolidating above that level, he told Coindesk in a note. Continuing, Given some time with such price action, we may see altcoins starting to rally again. On the flip side, a breakdown below $25,000 could put the brakes on this rally, end quote. All the while, Ether traders are breathing a sigh of relief and pushing up the price after the latest decentralized finance, or DeFi, crisis, this time involving protocol Euler Finance, which seems to be coming to a close. Coindisk reported over the weekend that the hacker behind an exploit that extracted something like $200 million worth of assets has returned the majority of the funds stolen from the protocol. Today's crypto coverage comes courtesy of Coindesk and Markets Analysts, Lilla Ledesma, Amkar Godblay, and Sam Reynolds. 
Bitcoin is currently trading at $27,799. That's down a little less than one half of 1% since our show on Friday, while Ether is trading at $1,759 per ETH. That's down almost one percentage point over the same time period, according to the Coindesk Market Index. And speaking of the Coindesk Market Index, we're looking at an absolute reading this morning of 1,225. That's down one third of 1% since our show on Friday across top traded tokens. And now with traditional markets, here's Adrian Blast. Thank you, Adam. U.S. and European equities rose in morning trade on Monday as investors grew more assured over the health of the banking industry. In the U.S., the Dow Jones Industrial Average and the S&P 500 both gained one and two thirds of a percent compared to our last markets update before the weekend. The tech-heavy Nasdaq, meanwhile, gained 1.1%. And speaking of the Nasdaq, apparently it's aiming to debut its crypto custody service by the end of the second quarter, Bloomberg reported on Friday. The stock market exchange operator's senior vice president and head of digital assets, Ira Auerbach, said the firm is working on getting the necessary infrastructure and regulatory approval in place. Nasdaq applied to the New York Department of Financial Services for a limited-purpose trust company charter, which would oversee its custody service. And over in Europe, major indices also gained, with Germany's DAX leading the way at 1.9% higher. The regional stock 600, meanwhile, gained 1.6%, while London's FTSE 100 gained 1.5%. Over in Asia, stocks were mixed. Hong Kong's Hang Seng Index lost 1 and 3 fourths of a percent, while mainland China's Shanghai Composite Index lost 4 tenths of a percent. Japan's Nikkei 225, meanwhile, bucked the trend and gained a third of a percent. In commodities markets, Brent crude, the global benchmark for oil, gained 2.2% over the weekend, trading at $75.07 per barrel. Gold, meanwhile, lost 2.3% over the same time period, trading at $1,151 per troy ounce. Today's traditional market coverage draws from the FT and MarketWatch. Thanks very much for that, Adrian. Stay tuned for After the Break, and we'll take a look at the growing regulatory burden. Oh, and why better banks are bad for banking. We'll be right back. Hey everyone, Adrian Doc Blust here. Firstly, thank you for listening and for leaving your reviews. We see you. If you're listening on Spotify by chance, some of you noticed that you can reply a comment on every individual episode. So if you have any feedback, questions, or want to share what you think about a particular episode, just click on the episode on Spotify and hit reply under the Q&A section. You'll find me there. We want to hear your questions and get you all involved. I'll comb through the replies and bring up any questions we see fit on the show. So it'd be great to hear from you. And thank you again for listening. Join Coindesk's Consensus 2023, the most important conversation in crypto and Web3, happening April 26th through 28th in Austin, Texas. Immerse yourself in all that blockchain technology has to offer creators, builders, founders, brand leaders, entrepreneurs, and more. Use code MARKETSDAILY to get 15% off your pass. Visit consensus.coindesk.com or check the link in the show notes. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash acquire. That's linkedin.com slash acquire. Terms and conditions apply. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. 
It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome back. U.S. accounting standards may be overhauled to specifically factor in crypto accounting, establishing a so-called fair value approach that would demand certain digital assets be valued at what they would go for in the market at any current moment, according to a change proposed this week by the Financial Accounting Standards Board. That's a departure from the status quo, which marks only unrealized losses and has been seen by the industry as a barrier to crypto adoption. The Non-Governmental Standard Setting Board, which is overseen by the U.S. Securities Regulator, has reportedly been working to institute standards for companies' portfolios of assets such as Bitcoin and Ether, and it issued this long-awaited proposal on Thursday. The suggested addition of crypto to accounting rules would make gains and losses part of the company's quarterly income reports by insisting that swings in value would be reflected each time a company files. The proposed changes, which by the way are open to public comments until June 6th, would also require further disclosures about major crypto holdings. Coindesk's Jesse Hamilton has more on that one. In other news, smart contracts will have to contain a kill switch under a revision of the European Union's Data Act published by the bloc's member states on Monday. The EU's council, which represents national governments, agreed on the text on Friday, and its proposals appear to echo those already favored by lawmakers at the European Parliament. The final wording of the law is still yet to be negotiated between the Parliament and the Council, mediated by the European Commission. The proposed legislation requires smart contracts to be able to interrupt or terminate their activity, and has provoked concerns in the blockchain community for undermining what are supposed to be automated and unalterable programs. It's just one area where the realities of these technologies are, and will likely continue to come into conflict with national and supranational laws. And in a broad sense, it's a story we'll be watching. Coindesk's Jack Schickler has more on this one. Turning to industry news, on Friday, the United States Federal Reserve released an 86-page report detailing the reasons why they've denied Custodia Bank's application for membership back in July, including the bank's involvement in the crypto space. According to the report, the Fed's board has raised, quote, concerns about banks with business plans focused on narrow sectors of the economy, end quote, with a high concentration of activities related to the crypto industry. The report states, quote, those concerns are further elevated with respect to Custodia because it is an uninsured depository institution seeking to focus almost exclusively on offering products and services related to the crypto asset sector, which presents heightened illicit finance and safety and soundness risks, end quote. The document also states that Fed members must align their risk management systems and controls with the activities described in their business plans. Based on the Fed's purview, quote, Custodia has not yet developed a sufficient risk management framework for its proposed crypto asset-related activities, nor had it addressed the highly correlated risks associated with its undiversified business model, end quote. If accepted as a member of the Fed system, Custodia Bank would be further forbidden to run crypto-related services, quote, given the speculative and volatile nature of the crypto asset ecosystem that is not consistent with the purposes of the Federal Reserve Act, the report states. Continuing, further, if the board were to approve Custodia's membership application, it would prohibit Custodia from engaging in a number of the novel and unprecedented activities it proposes to conduct, at least until such a time as the activities conducted as principal are permissible for national banks, end quote. In response to the report, a spokesperson for Custodia Bank told Cointelegraph the quote, recently released Fed order is the result of numerous procedural abnormalities, factual inaccuracies that the Fed refused to correct, and a general bias against digital assets, end quote. 
Cointelegraph has more on this in the show notes, but just as an aside, given the U.S. Central Bank's apparent concerns about risky activity, you might think that Custodia has come up with a new banking business model that would be sharply more dangerous in contrast to the safe fractional reserve banks that surround us today. But, in fact, by all appearances, just the opposite is true. A traditional bank, the kind apparently preferred by the Federal Reserve, accepts your deposits and gives you back essentially an unsecured liability. That is to say that you deposit money in the bank and it becomes the bank's money, but they owe you the same amount on demand. The business model of these banks then involves taking almost all of the money you gave them and investing it for some period of time. So at any given time, a traditional, safe, fractional reserve bank only has a fraction of the money needed to pay out depositors. This is why bank runs are a concern. Because if the bank is going to go out of business, then it's a much better deal for you to take your money out before it does, which then accelerates the pace at which the bank goes out of business. So it's sort of like musical chairs, but with your money. And so when this happens, either the authorities come in and assure everyone that even if the bank can't pay them back right then, the government will use either money collected from the banks in advance, or as is the case in any sort of systemic issue, use taxpayer money to guarantee those deposits, which then, they hope, stops the panic and prevents both the collapse of the bank and also the need to actually bail out depositors. So that's the current banking system, which is going really great, according to the U.S. central bank that oversees it. But now here's Custodia, and also don't forget Kraken's Wyoming banks, that are doing something that can't be tolerated. That is to say, they're running banks that, if allowed by the U.S. regulator to actually operate as banks, won't lend out customer deposits, and will, like a valet with your car, just be charged with holding and protecting your money, rather than making it their own and doing what they want with it. So yes, that's right. Custodia is a new thing, what's known as a full reserve special depository institution under Wyoming law, which means that, unless the bank is actually breaking the law, they literally could have a bank run where 100% of depositor funds are withdrawn without becoming insolvent. And that's a stark difference from the traditional banking system. Because of that, the funds at a bank like this don't need to be insured in the same way that fractional reserve deposits do. And also because of that, concentration of risk is an argument that doesn't really make any sense because the assets held within the bank are whatever their customers are holding with them in whatever tokens they're choosing to hold. Prices and volatility would only matter to the stability of the bank if the bank were in some way monetizing or rehypothecating deposit or assets. But that's not something they're allowed to do by the way their charter works. So really, at least from my perspective, what's happening here is that the idea of a full reserve bank really does present a systemic risk to the banking system but not because it's more dangerous, but rather because it presents a safer alternative. Given the banking crisis we've seen so far this year, not to mention the ones we've seen over the last dozen years, even with yet the latest round of incredible interventions by banking authorities, what percentage of people with money in traditional banks would sleep better at night knowing that their money couldn't be lent out and potentially lost by investment decisions at a bank or haphazard monetary policy decisions at a central bank? And given the current wobbly state of the banking sector, what percentage of deposits could they really afford to see exit into full reserve banks? I'd wager it's not a lot. So, you can believe the U.S. Central Bank if you want, or you can believe my theory. Either way, it's yet another example of the powerful protecting themselves at the expense of alternatives that would allow the rest of us to protect ourselves from them. And now zooming in on the latest fallout from the banking crisis of 2023, a deal has reportedly been finalized for what's left of Silicon Valley Bank, at least most of it. The Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, better known as the FDIC, announced late last night that it had finalized a deal with Raleigh, North Carolina-based First Citizens Bank to acquire the deposits and loans of the failed SVB. 
Bloomberg initially reported on this one. In a statement, the FDIC said that all depositors at the failed institution will automatically become depositors at First Citizens Bank and Trust Company. All deposits assumed by First Citizens Bank and Trust Company will continue to be insured by the FDIC up to the insurance limit. As of March 10th, Silicon Valley Bridge Bank reported roughly $167 billion in assets and nearly $119 billion in deposits. The FDIC says the transaction involved purchasing about $72 billion worth of the bank's assets at a $16.5 billion discount. About $90 billion in securities and other assets will stay in receivership, awaiting sale by the FDIC. Coindesk's Sam Reynolds reports on this one. And now with the rest of the headlines, here's Adrian Blust. Thank you, Adam. And following up on the Do Kwan saga, the Terraform Labs founder is likely to appeal his 30-day detention order in Montenegro. According to a report from the Montenegrin newspaper Vigesti, Kwan's legal representative said he plans to appeal the court's imposition of an extended detention order after he was arrested on Thursday. Kwan and his accomplice, Terraform Labs CFO Han Cheng Jun, were detained after they attempted to board a flight to Dubai using falsified travel documents. Montenegro permits detention of a 72-hour period, but the local court ordered a month-long extension at the request of prosecutors. The authorities deemed that Kwan and Jun were likely to flee in light of the multiple legal charges against them. This comes courtesy of unchained newsletters. However, the U.S. law enforcement would have jurisdiction over Singapore-based Terraform Labs and its founder Do Kwan if they knowingly marketed their Luna and TerraUSD or UST stablecoins to U.S. investors, which Lisa Branganza, a former enforcement branch chief at the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, believes to be the case. Quote, the SEC's contention is that Do Kwan and these folks were reaching out to U.S. investors, whether they were based in the U.S. or not, Braganza told Coindesk TV's first mover on Friday. Continuing, they were getting U.S. investment money and, frankly, they were targeting their pitch to U.S. investors, she said. Coindesk's Fran Velasquez reports on that. Elsewhere, the global law firm Evershed Sutherland has filed for an early-stage summary judgment to ring-fence assets frozen in the accounts of non-U.S. FTX customers, thereby legally demarcating those funds from those being claimed by debtors of bankruptcy estate. The FTX Chapter 11 process is now into its fourth month, and there's a concern that the status of non-U.S. customer funds, which account for close to $2 billion, are being dithered over as a way of using them to contribute to considerable operating costs of the bankruptcy. The ad hoc group of FTX.com non-U.S. customers have clear and unambiguous property rights over the assets, as per the exchange's terms of service, said Evershed Sutherland partner Sarah Paul. Coindesk's Ian Allison reports on that. And finally, Michael Saylor's MicroStrategy Monday morning said it prepaid the remaining principal on its loan from now-failed Silvergate Bank, according to a regulatory filing. In addition, the company purchased over 6,455 Bitcoin for roughly $150 million, about $23,238 per coin, over the past five weeks. The loan payoff was made last Friday and totaled to $161 million. As part of the satisfaction of the loan, 34,619 Bitcoin held as collateral for the paper were returned to MicroStrategy's custody. Coindesk's Stephen Alfer reports. And that's our show for today. Thank you very much for listening. If you have any questions or comments, send the show an email at podcast at coindesk.com or you can email me directly at adamlevine at coindesk.com. If you like what we're doing, we always appreciate reviews on Apple Podcasts or your preferred listening platform. This episode was produced by Adrian Blust and myself with further support from the podcast team over at coindesk.com. Have a great rest of your day and we'll be back tomorrow with another episode of Markets Daily.